And Father, now we've come to the time in this service. We have taken our place at the table. We want you to feed us today, O Lord, the engrafted word. We ask you, O God, to give us clarity and give us coherence and help us to hear with spirit ears what the Spirit has to say to the church. Touch us, O Lord, with an anointing. Touch us with an enablement that we can deliver what you've put in our heart for this hour. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Of the Gospels, three are called synoptic, synoptic Gospels, because they each tell a story of the ministry of the Lord Jesus. Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. Jesus lived an exemplary life. We have not a lot of information about his adolescence nor his teenage years. One instance in his adolescence was when he was in the temple teaching as one who had authority and was kind of got lost from the travel group that he was with. And they returned and found him in the temple discussing the Mosaic Covenant to the Mosaic Law. Don't much about his early 20s, but about the age of 30, the Bible tells us that Jesus began his public ministry. When he appeared on the banks of the Jordan and John the Baptist looked up and saw him standing there and said, Behold the Lamb of God which cometh to take away the sins of the world. Jesus said, I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Jesus said, I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. So his whole ministry was around those three pivotal statements about his purpose and his uh, goal in, in ministry and purpose in coming. He has come to a time now when the shadow of the cross is looming heavily upon his life. And he knows that very soon he will be offered up as a sacrifice. John's gospel is not one of the synoptic gospels and it, because it has a whole different uh, uh, ring to it and a whole different purpose. John's gospel talks about the Son of God. Now, Matthew talks about the son of David, and Mark talks about the son of man. Luke talks about the son of man, and all of those, and uh, one other, the, the son of Adam. And all of those have uh, significance, and I could preach uh, the rest of the day on those different significances of those evangelists that talk about Jesus. But he, we find him in Mark chapter 10, and as I said earlier, the lowest place on the face of the earth. He's in Jericho. Jericho is not only the oldest city on the face of the earth, it is also the oldest city. Wow, I've, I've stood there and looked at those ruins, and uh, a guide would tell us about how many foundations there were uh, laid out there. There were at least 12 foundations. The city had been totally destroyed 12 times. You know, in archaeology, when you travel to the, to the Middle East, you will see layers because they just came back on the rubbish heap and built another layer. And each layer has its own story to tell about a time and an event. In Mark chapter 10, 
the Bible talks about some very interesting things. It uh, starts out by talking Jesus, about Jesus and uh, being in, in Jericho and about his going forth and teaching people. He starts with a, a very odd thing. He starts talking about marriage. And uh, the Pharisees and the scribes are there, and they want to talk to him all about well, marriage and who is free to marry. Because up until that time, they had to go by the Mosaic uh, tolerance. The Bible said, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, because of the hardness of their hearts, uh, he allowed them to have a writ of divorcement. But they could put away a husband or a wife for fornication. But he said, except it be for fornication. And that's called the Matthew allowance. So when he went into that subject, he really threw his disciples a curve. And Jesus said that God made things, he said, from the very beginning, it was not so. From the very beginning, God made male and female. Now, if you believe that God is a powerful, omniscient, omnipresent God, he doesn't make mistakes. When he makes a man, he makes a man. And when he makes a woman, he makes a woman. And he said, and they twain are separate, but he said, in matrimony and in marriage, they come together and the twain shall be one flesh. Now, that whole saying really threw the disciples a curve. And when they got to a private place, the Bible said he started talking to those disciples and they asked him, what did you mean by, by this and, and that? How did you, how did you come to that realization and what does that really mean well he finally just put the bottom line on him and he said what God hath joined together let not man put asunder that's a pretty good rule of thumb isn't it pretty good rule of thumb well then we have children brought to him and the little children come and and uh, the disciples said uh, uh, let's get rid of these kids and Jesus said hold it he had a rebuke for them had a rebuke for them. He said, listen, suffer little children to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of God. And then he went another step further, and he said, except you become like one of these children, you shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of God. Boy, that requirement would be a tough one to fulfill, wouldn't it? to become like a little child, to become so dependent, to become so ever-learning and ever-discerning and coming to the knowledge of the truth. Well, they dispense with that matter by Jesus just simply saying, suffer little children to come to me. Don't ever drive children away. I think children that need to be in church and need to see grown-ups have church. I think children need to be around where the Holy Spirit is moving. I think children need to be brought up to see people lifting holy hands and rejoicing and clapping their hands to the glory of the Lord. I think they need to see that. I don't think we need to put them somewhere as if they're 
a bother to us. Is that too strong? I think they need to be made a very real part of what we do. I think they need to be taught about when the age of accountability is and, and when they come to that place that uh, I always say in the marriage, uh, marriage covenant that I always do, I say, do you promise that at the very earliest time available will you lead your child to the Lord Jesus? Because if you're not ever going to present Jesus to your kids, I'm not going to marry you. Is that too mean or is that too hateful? I mean, they're not too particular about who marries anymore. Anybody can marry anybody. If you can find a stranger on the street that can say, married, married. As one preacher says, take, take, took. If you can get somebody to say three words, you can get married. They don't even have us to require a license anymore. You just go to courthouse and pay, and in their eyes, you're married when you give them the money. But Jesus said, that's not the way it should be. Suffer little children to come unto me. Children need to be in a Christ-honoring, Christ-exalting uh, service. They need to be around where people are, are really being touched and blessed of God. That's right. It becomes a very real part of who they are in the Lord Jesus. Amen. So as soon as he got through with the children coming issue, in the same chapter, here comes one to Jesus, and Mark said he came in a very homage kind of a way. He came and he was running when he came to Jesus. And when he got to Jesus, he knelt down in the presence of Jesus. We don't have his name. The Bible doesn't give us his name. He is simply called a rich young ruler. And he gets in the presence of Jesus and he said, Good master, rabbi, rabboni, what shall I do that I may inherit everlasting life? Well, strange that he, a rich young ruler, would use that terminology, inherit eternal life. Inheritance is something of a legal thing that Joel would have to give us all the points about that. But to be eligible, it matters more about who you are than what you do. Does that make any sense? In other words, who you are determines whether you get an inheritance or not. So his wording of what shall I do to be one of those who are in right relationship to inherit the kingdom of God. Boy, that's good stuff. And Jesus said, well, you're a very learned person. He said, you know the commandments you know about the Mosaic Covenant. You know about the Decalogue. You know all about the, the things pertaining to the Mosaic Covenant. And he said, Lord, all of these have I kept from my youth up. When I listen, folks, we're going to have to put him on the list. Pretty good guy. Good moral man. He don't lie. He don't cheat. 
honors his father and mother, don't bear false witness, don't kill, don't steal. Hey, we got a pretty good guy sitting here, don't we? But you know what? You can go to the prison and bring them in here and seat them in every seat in this house but one and put a good moral person in that one seat. I'll get every one of the prisoners saved before I ever get that one person. That one person will shovel over his head everything that I say to him because by his morals and his own personal goodness, he says, why, why do I need salvation? Why do I need to do anything about my situation? I am what I am, and I do what I do. What, what lack I yet? And Rita, Jesus really gave us some insight when he said one thing. One thing. One thing lackest thou yet. Well, what that tells us is one thing could keep us out of heaven. One thing could cause us to miss heaven. One thing lackest thou yet. You see, Jesus, his intention was not to make this man a pauper. His intention was not to make him an object of pity and to make him poor and Desolate. Jesus realized where his God was. And he said, then if thou wilt be perfect. In other words, you've got the law down pat. You've got the commandments down pat. If thou wilt be perfect, then go and sell that that thou hast and give it to the poor and come and follow me and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. All Jesus was asking him to do was stop banking with the guy you're banking with and start banking with the one you should be banking with. In other words, you need to get hooked up in the bank up above where treasures are and uh, where it doesn't rust and it moth doesn't eat and it doesn't go out of style, praise God. God's got a, got a bank that is full of treasures that are laid up in store for them that love the Lord and know the Lord. And then we get a, another episode. Come on down there, a few verses more, where the disciples, James and John, came to Jesus and they said, Lord, who is going to be the greatest? in the kingdom of God. And Jesus gave them this story about he that would be first will be last, and he that will be last will be first. And what he's saying is that people who desire power over others, authority over others, all that is connected to that leadership model, He's saying, if you're going to be a leader, you've got to be a servant. Now, that, those words don't seem to go together, do they? Servant, leader. But he said, he that would be greatest. He that would be greatest. 
Let him be the one that is a servant slash slave to everybody. Lord Jesus, you, you've got that backwards. Somehow or another, that, that model just, just won't work. My goodness, if you're wanting somebody to lead people, you want him to lead from behind? How in the world can, can a man lead people and be the servant of every one of them? Boy, that's tough, isn't it? But when churches and leaders are where they really need to be, then they can understand that model and work with that model. Jesus wasn't wrong about saying, first shall be last, last shall be first. In other words, he, he even gave a, one verse that said, prefer your brother. For if you see that your brother hath need, and you shut up your bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in you? Boy, America as a nation needs to hear that today, don't they? If you see that another nation has need, and you shut up your bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in you? It was never the intention of God for welfare to be the government's business. Boy, I got one that's right. I didn't get another amen. Reckon I could buy one with five bucks. <laughs> Are you meaning, pastor, that God expects the church to take care of welfare and poor people and sick people and that the church ought to be in the business of helping people who are destitute and people that are desperate, people that are at their wits end. You mean the church should be a place that they could look to to find compassion and could find, find Christian care and love and concern? I think the answer to that is yes. Yes. And church at its best is like the early church when they said they parted their goods to every man as every man had need. If you needed something, your brothers and sisters in Christ would help you get that. And you're right. When you give somebody something for nothing, they usually quit. If you can send it to me, mail it to me, give it to me, and I don't have to do anything to get it, then I'll just sit here on the couch and wait on the mail to run. But the Bible said the laborer is worthy of his hire. The Bible said by the sweat of your brow and the strength of your back you would earn your living come on somebody and the apostle paul made a statement are you ready for this buckle your seatbelt. 
He's a guy that loves people and does all kind of things for people. But here's what he said. If you don't work, you don't eat. We'll help you. And we'll help you get through difficulty and hardships. And we'll do everything we can do to help you. But you got to work with us. Expect what you inspect. If you're not ever going to take notice and take inventory, every man needs to do that. Every day of his life, you need to step up on those scales. Not to see how heavy you are, but to see how you stand with God. Because every man on his way to eternity at some time will step up on the scales. Step up on the scales. And Jesus just put that powerful teaching there about servant leadership. And he said, Jesus said, the Gentiles, they lord their authority over the peasant people and over the poor, and they take advantage of people that they can take advantage. They lord it over another. But Jesus said, here's the way I'm going to tell you to do it. No big eyes, little use. And I want to tell you that the ground around the cross is level. And I want to tell you that the cross is for everybody. It's for the rich, it's for the poor, it's for the healthy and the sick, it's for the wise, and it's for the not, uh, not so wise. It's for everybody. Jesus is for every man, woman, boy, and girl. Jesus is God's antidote for the sin problem that has been in humanity since the very beginning. So now Jesus gets to a point, and he's on his way. And he talks about the Son of Man must go to Jerusalem and he must put himself into the hands of sinners. And he must feel the contradiction. That means opposition. He must feel the opposition and he must fight through that. And Jesus looked at all of the disciples and he said, Do you think? that you can drink this cup with me and you can be baptized with the baptism that I am going to be baptized. It literally says, I will be immersed. I will be overwhelmed. I'll go under for God's sake, for your sake. I am here as God's representative Jesus said I'm here to give my life because God did not send me to be ministered to but he sent me to minister he didn't send me here to be served he sent me here to serve and all the disciples Don's reading it there with me all the disciples said, we can. Whatever you're going to go through, Jesus will go through it with you. 
Jesus, whatever burden there is to bear, will bear it with you. Jesus, whatever hardship there is to endure, will endure it with you. Jesus, whatever kind of persecution, we'll do it with you. We'll go through it with you. We'll not leave you. We'll stand by you. But the sad commentary is that when the whole ordeal started to unfold, started in a garden. Jesus was in a garden, and the Bible said he went out to pray and he took with him Peter, James, and John, the sons of thunder and the rock. And Jesus was kneeling, praying, Father, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, thy will be done. And he went back and the rock had crumbled, and the sons of thunder were quiet, and they slept. And Jesus said, you better wake up. There's some things fixing to happen. You better stay up and pray and, and fast and really get a hold of God because you're going to need it. Because you've said we can. And the Bible said, and Jesus went a little further. I'm glad he'll always go a little further, aren't you? You may not go with me all the way, but he'll go all the way. He went a little further. Have you served a God that'll go a little further? Do you know a Lord Jesus, a Savior that will go a little further? Amen. He went a little bit further, and he prayed until his sweat became as great drops of blood. He was bringing his flesh into submission. And that's really what that verse is about. Last shall be first and first shall be last. It's about submission. Now that's easy to say, but buddy, that is a tough one to do. Submit yourself. Submit yourself one to another. Paul told the Corinthians, submit yourself. When Sarah had driven off Hagar, and Hagar was at a well. The angel said, go back. Go back to Sarah and submit yourself to her. Oh, no. I hate her. She has been a thorn in my side she talks mean and hateful to me. She's jealous of me because I've had a, a son. And you're telling me to go back and submit myself to her? Sometimes God asks you to do some pretty difficult things. Sometimes... When someone asks you for your cloak, you just don't want to give him your coat also. Sometimes when a person asks you to go a mile with him, you don't want to go too. But blessed are you. 
Blessed are you when men shall revile you and shall speak all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. For great, somebody say great, great is your reward in heaven. So Jesus dealt with that whole issue. And might I conclude that Gethsemane discourse? Suddenly, see, soldiers came, temple soldiers. Sometimes you get confused on which soldiers are soldiers. Roman soldiers killed him. Temple soldiers arrested him. And when the temple soldiers came, and Judas put his kiss upon the cheek of Jesus, and Jesus said to him, Betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? And the Bible said, And Peter drew his sword and cut off the ear of one of the guards. Do you know what that guy's name was? Malchus. Next time you get in trivial pursuit, you need to know that. Who was the soldier that Peter cut off his ear? Made a swing at him and missed his head, I reckon, but got his ear. He was a great rock, but he was a bad sling. <laughs> Sorry, that just slipped in. And the Bible said Jesus went over and picked up his ear and put it back on the side of his head. Are you kidding me? This guy's standing there bleeding, and his ear is laying on the ground, and Jesus goes over and picks up his ear and walks back over and puts it back on the side of his head and turned and said, Peter, put up your sword. Because this is all part of what I told you on the road, that when I get to this point, It's going to be tough sailing, tough going. And you said, we, we can take it. We can make it. But you can't make it by cutting off ears. And you can't make it by carnal anger. You can't make it by any of those things. And then we get down to the point in the chapter. Come on, Olivia. We get down to the point in the chapter where sons of thunder... Come to Jesus, James and John. And they said, Lord, we have forsaken all to follow you. Lord, when you, we made you our choice, it was forever. Lord, we left our nets, we left our business, we left our family, we left our home. You said if we would follow you, you would make us fishers of men. And now, Lord, we've got a request to make of you. When you come into your kingdom, would you place John on your right hand and put James on your left hand? May we sit at the prominent seats 
when you establish your kingdom. When you become that king and you become that all-powerful being in the kingdom. You see, he had a totally false impression of kingdom and king worship and king authority. Boy, he just missed it all the way around. Jesus informed him. He said, the Son of Man has got to go to the cross, be delivered into the hands of sinners, be treated like, a, like an animal because the blood has to be shed and the blood has to be spilled. The blood has to go forth for there to be salvation. And he said the kingdom of God is not a kingdom made with hands. It's not a kingdom that's made with, with mortar and stones. It's not a, a situation where we sit in front of people like arrogant, self-assured folks on a throne somewhere giving orders. There's no place like that. And then Jesus said, the only persons that's going to be on my right and my left are some people called thieves. Because when they reached Calvary, Mark said, there they crucified him. And where they crucified him, there were two male factors that one was on his right and one was on his left. So when you think that you want to sit in the most prominent seat, and you think you want to be on his right hand, and someone else be on his left hand, you need to consider the two that were on his right and his left. And one of them gets it, and one of them don't gets it. One of them prayed a prayer, a prayer of self-preservation. He prayed, he said, if thou be Christ, come down from this cross and get us down from here. If you're really the Savior of the world, if you're really the Son of God, Come down from this cross and save thyself and us. That was a prayer of self-preservation. The Bible said, but on the other hand, there was another who said, Lord, when thou comest into thy kingdom, remember me. Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said, this day shalt thou be with me in paradise. Whole chapter there of people that were blind and people that were getting their eyes open. And then we come to the last part of this message. That next verse said, and outside the city of Jericho, there was a blind beggar whose name was Bartimaeus. Well, how did he get on that road? My Lord, I've never heard of him before, Pastor. How did he get on that road? He'd been there all the time. You just missed him. 
He was on that Jericho road close to the city many times. Sitting over the, Bible said, on the side of the highway. Pushed over to the marginalized section. The people who don't deserve to be here. The people who shouldn't be getting this opportunity. The people who are ostracized. The people who are alienated. The people who are separated because he not only was blind, he also was a beggar. He couldn't do anything to help himself because he couldn't see. He couldn't make a living for his family. He couldn't go where he pleased. He had to have someone to lead him around. And he was sitting by the side of the road and he heard a great commotion. And he said, who is that? And they said, that's Jesus. Oh, I've heard about Jesus. Jesus is that one that the other day over at Nain, there was a funeral procession coming through the gate. And Jesus walked over and stopped the procession and went over and took the guy by the hand and said, Arise! Come to life! And Jesus was the one that raised that guy from the dead. Oh, yeah, and I heard over at Gadara when he landed over there in a ship that there was a man named Legion that was possessed with bad spirits and foul spirits and evil spirits. And he came down to Jesus and said his name was Legion. And Jesus said, Come out of him! And he was delivered. Oh, yeah, I heard about that centurion's daughter too. I, I, and, I, and I heard about that blind man that in John chapter 9 that he got healed and got his eyes opened and what Jesus can do for somebody else he can do for me if Jesus can open one blind man's eyes he can open another blind man's eyes if Jesus can do for anybody and he prayed I said God if you can do anything hallelujah somehow he heard something that planted a seed of faith in his heart to believe I can change my plot. I can change my life. Everything that's going on in my life can change. And he cried out. Andrew, he cried out. And he said, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And the disciples said, hush now. We've already got him all riled up about kingdoms and about being a king and sitting on the right hand and the left. Let's just don't get him started on this thing. And the Bible said he cried even more loud. Jesus, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped the procession. And all attention and all eyes were brought to Bartimaeus. Why did Jesus, when that blind man call Jesus the son of David? Because in Israel they were looking for the rightful heir to David's throne. Because they were all looking for a king 
They were all looking for an emancipator. They were all looking for a conqueror. They were looking for that white horse rider. They were looking for that man who shall be for your peace. And the Bible said this, And Bartimaeus threw away his garment. What's the matter, Pastor? Was it getting hot over there on the side of the road? No. He had a cloak. And you know, law-abiding Israelite people don't touch blind people. It's like touching a leper. They're ostracized and you don't touch them. You don't have any... Well, how in the world was he going to get his coins, Pastor? How was he going to get the gift if somebody was going to give him some money? He couldn't reach out and get it in his hand. How did he get it? They tossed it down into his cloak. That cloak was the most valuable possession he had. That cloak was the one thing that he depended upon for his whole life. That cloak kept him warm. That cloak made him money. That, that cloak was his connection. All of his life was right there in that cloak. So the Bible said, and he threw away his garment. What was he saying? He said, I'm going to come to Jesus for my everything. I'm going to come to Jesus trusting him for my life. I'm going to come to Jesus believing that if I abandon everything else and throw everything on my life away and just turn to Jesus, then he'll have mercy on me and he'll heal my eyes and I'll be able to do what I've never been able to do. And the Bible said, so he threw away his garment, threw away his livelihood, threw away everything. And Jesus said this to him, and I'm going to say it to you. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Praise God. Stand with me, please. Somebody in this house needs a faith touch this morning. Somebody in this house needs to realize that Jesus is passing by. Somebody in this house needs to cry out, Jesus, Savior of the world, Jesus, Lord of my life, Jesus, Son of the living God, Jesus. And when you cry out, when you cry out, when you cry out, there's a response. David said, this poor man cried out. David said, this poor man cried unto the Lord, and the Lord heard him and delivered him out of all of his trouble. Charles, God is still in the business of delivering people. He's still in the business of turning lives around. He's still in the business of picking people up who've been thrown away. He's still in the business of making brand new an old life that has become so desolate you don't want to live it anymore. He is the one who gives abundant life. Now I want you to pray with me right now in Jesus' name.
And afterward, we're going to give God some great praise. God, I thank you for that you're passed by every one of our lives. Thank you for the night you passed by and I cried out, Lord, have mercy on me. Thank you for the time, oh Lord, that people in this auditorium cried out to God, Lord, have mercy upon me. Your word says that you're rich in mercy. Your word says that your loving kindness is better than life. Your word says that a day in your courts is better than 10,000 elsewhere. Lord, where you are is where I want to be. Lord, wherever you're going is where I want to go. Lord, whatever you're doing is what I want to do. And God, I just ask you to submit to the will of God for my life. I ask you, Lord, for those things that Pastor preached about this morning, that God wants me to find deliverance through submission. And Lord, I've fought against things for most of my life, but I, I right now, oh God, would like to say to you that I submit, Lord, I submit. I submit, Lord, not my way, but your way. Not my will, but your will. Have your own way, God, in my heart. Have your own way in my life. Be the Lord of my life and, I, and rule, O oh Lord, over my heart and rule over my life. Rule over my past and rule over my present and rule over my future. For all my life is in your hands, O oh God. Take me, O oh Lord, and use me for your glory and for your honor. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter. I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will while i am waiting yielded and still praise our god now for about 30 seconds would you give god the greatest praise that you've got glory unto our god blessing and power we exalt your name on high we bless you, we praise you, we give you honor, and we give you glory, and we lift you up. You alone, O oh Lord, are worthy of our praise and worthy of our glory, worthy of all power, all glory. You are glorious in holiness. You are glorious in your kingship. You are glorious in your love. We praise you, God. We worship you, and we thank you, God. Blessed be your name. Now dismiss us, Lord, from this place, but not your sight. And go with us, O Lord, and order our steps that we will please you with our living. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you and God go with you is our prayer.